0: And so I, I've got a couple of ideas that I wanted to check with you, you know, in front of everybody on a podcast, because that's well, how you run your, you know, you do your material. What do you think? But I want to do it. Um, As your black friend? No, see, okay. I was. I you knew it was coming. I, okay, I go. couldn't get ahead of it fast enough. I, Very good. Almost hit your mute. I knew. Hey there, if you've joined the podcast today, my name is Chris Jarvis, I work with companies on employee giving and volunteering programs. And my name's Jake McIsaac, I spend a lot of time thinking about public safety and restorative justice. So we are having conversations here that we've been having for 20 years. Yeah, the only difference now is we press record and share it with you. Thanks
1: for joining us. On today's episode, Chris tells me a story about a person
0: who was taking way more bread than they were supposed to at the Sunday suppers. And Jake's gonna share a story with me that I had never heard before and a question I'd never asked. And I'm a little surprised, both that I'd never asked it before and his response was interesting.
1: We're talking in-group, out-group. We're talking about belonging. We're talking about the brain. Covering a lot of ground today in this episode.
0: Yeah, and how social exclusion creates pain. So sticks and stones may break your bones, but so will words, spoken or not. Jake, do you remember um, this incident? It came to my mind because of a presentation I'm doing tomorrow. But uh, one of the organizers at the Sunday suppers in Halifax came to me one day and said that she had a she was she had a big concern about me. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, who can forget, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I've ever shared the story with you, or maybe I did. Okay, it? go ahead. S- S- it was I, a long time I, ago. I don't remember it right now, but maybe it'll kick in. Okay, so uh for the listeners, was a interesting personality who uh, Jake and I both consider a friend. Um just a little bit of background information for you, she which she shares with whoever's interested. Um she had a, a rough upbringing, was one of 12 children in her family, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She um had some issues growing up. Uh, she grew up uh, in um, a family affected by generational poverty. And at one point um, in an argument with her mom, she tried to burn down the house. So they called the police and she went to jail. And that was a whole experience. Um, had her first baby. I think she was a 13, 12, maybe? 12 or 13. 12, yeah. 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 Um, by one of the prison guards. Mm-hmm. And which... We never knew if it was actually true or not, you know, because she, by the time we knew her, she was in her 40s. I actually don't know how old. And she had teeth problems. So the healthcare in Canada, if you're, if you're living, if you're affected by poverty or living on the street or whatnot, you just pull the teeth and all the teeth and give you dentures and she didn't wear the dentures all the time. So it was kind of hard to hear her. And anyways, in and out of prison, dealing with drugs and addiction had a hard life lived a hard life uh has way more stories than i think we could ever cover in a year of podcasts but she when i met her and i think we covered this on another podcast do you remember ever did we ever talk about well, that?
1: i don't think we did no
0: no okay and uh she the the way i met her just again for everybody listening i was i was at sunny suppers and i was um uh, with jake and we were kind of there were several of us that we were in charge of of kind of making this meal go. It was for about 150 people off the streets, men, women, kids, families. They would come in and we would bring in a number of guests. It had been going since 1985, started by seven little old ladies, part of the women's auxiliary there. And we turned it around, grew it a little bit, had more volunteers coming in. One of the volunteers was <laughs> who showed up with a piece of paper and said, are you in charge? And I said, sure. She said, okay, I have a thousand hours. And I said- Community service, yeah. Community service hours. I said. What? Because you don't get a thousand community hours, right? Like maybe 40, 50, 100, 200, but a thousand? I had never heard of this before. But I think the judge was just fed up with, you know, sending her to jail for dumb things. And so she said, you're my boss. I'm working here. I'm going to work on these thousand hours. Now, at two hours a week, (laughs) it was going to take a bit of time, (laughs) 10 years, something like that. I think about 10 years to get through all those hours if she didn't miss a Sunday. And um, I said, sure. And she became a great volunteer. She understood the, the community that we were serving. She was, she was such a hard worker. Do you remember? She was always finding something to do, finding a way to help participate, yeah. very generous, sharing her time.
1: That's what I was going to say. Just, just to inter- So, I mean, it painted a truthful, but really sad picture of who, who, was, but I think yeah, it is. That's, right. And that's I, right.
0: Yeah. Can you fill in some blanks? Because that, that one thing that stands yeah. out when
1: I think of is probably one of the most generous people I have right. ever met. Absolutely. Um, and the, the amount of generosity when you don't have a lot, uh, you know, she's giving, um, often at her own expense, not like sometimes like, like I might give, like I have a little bit of extra, so it's not going to really hurt me. I'll just give you a little of my excess, right extra money right would would dig down and make sure that everybody was okay was the person in the community who would say um if you knew where the where to get a you know one turkey dinner you and would make sure everybody on the street knew right yes this was she was the hookup
0: person and took care she was she looked after a community she hooked them up in fact that turkey story one year I guess she's done this for a couple of years, but one year she was telling me how she got 25 turkeys for her friends. Right. And her friends are her community people who are uh-huh. dealing with the same kind of issues as she was. And um, like 25 turkeys. How would you find those? Well, you just call up church and give them a new name. Then you go pick it up and then you deliver them. So she was weirdly an intermediary bringing turkeys to folks who wouldn't have been able to get to the church and get them. Making Um, it super
1: accessible. I mean, she super accessible. She was doing this inclusion work long before we. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Yeah, we had language around it. She knew that there were some people in that community that just would never, for their own reasons, darken the door of that church or go there or couldn't go or maybe they were banned from this particular charity. Uh, or or outreach center. So she just worked around it to make sure that they she still could get their turkey. They, she just Absolutely. navigated it. I
0: loved it. I loved that about her. I, I did too. I thought that was great. And a number of the volunteers were like, oh my gosh, she's working the system. I thought, yeah. Mm-hmm. But she should. Somebody should because the system's not working. So right. she's stepping in to make it. Okay. So with that in mind, and given, you know, the facts of her history kind of mm-hmm. thing, one of the other organizers came to me and said, um, yeah, I have a concern can I talk? I said, sure. She said, uh, so it goes in after the Sunday supper is over to the freezer and takes all of the frozen bread. Now you have to understand Jake, you and I picked up the yep. bread. It was like on its last legs. Anyways, <laughs> we froze yep. it. It was like, it wasn't like <laughs> stone hearth fresh bread. Wow. Okay. And they're muffins, muffins, chocolate muffins mm-hmm. from Costco. They were prized, And uh, she takes all of them. And I said, Oh, is, uh, is that a problem? She said, well, they're for everybody. They're not just for her. I said, well, okay. Does she take them before everybody gets it? No, she takes just, we give it what we can. And then whatever's left, she cleans out the freezer and it's not for her. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'll talk to her about it. So I wasn't too concerned. Cause I was sure there was a, a story behind it. And so I was driving and I said, you got five bags of bread there. What are you going to do with all that bread? I'll I'll Give it out to all my friends. Mm-hmm. What? I, yeah, there's a bunch of people who can't get the side of supper. So I bring them stuff afterwards. And I helped her lug it up, and I walked into the living room. Now, you and I had just moved about a, <laughs> three months earlier. a Big, stupid couch into her apartment building.
1: Yeah. I said,
0: where's, where's the couch? We lugged up the stairs. That was a beast. That heavy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my uh, Joey, whatever his name was, got out of prison last month. He didn't have any furniture, so I took yeah. it down to him. Yeah. She gave away. She loved that couch. We <laughs> fought hard to get it up those stairs. She just gave it away because yeah. he didn't have anything. And so I went back and explained it to the, to the other person. They were like, okay, fine. If that's really what's happening, fine. Now, this other person is incredibly astute, works with people on the street, has decades of experience, was well-informed, taught me a lot. Mm -hmm. But in this moment, she fell into an othering trap. Yeah. And based on how she perceived herself and the world, it called into question. It, it not only called it into question, but there was sort of an assumption of something's wrong.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. I and I did not know that um, that's where you're going. I do remember that now, but I, I I'm glad I mentioned about uh, the generosity of right. because that is that is what I remember about Mar- right completely is that that's right. Um, you know, she wanted to make sure that people around her were okay, right. and she, she, you know, there was this othering in that moment. I think you're right that the that the, the uh, organizer didn't recognize uh, her motives, didn't recognize uh, the way she was helping, her, or even the actions. Didn't recognize is a great way to say that. Actually. But did, yeah, but because but it's but not how she would have done it.
0: The the other so one not how she
1: would have done it. it. Yeah. right. But Mark was uh, taking care of her in group. Yeah, you know, and making sure that no one was left left behind. And this was, you know, when she did well, everybody in her circle is going to do well. Yes. I, the, there's this sense of loyalty uh, and generosity that kind of go together that make that community work well and i i remember when you talked about the harms that she she had experienced as a child and and then being in uh, in incarcerated as a juvenile and there was a payout and and you'll remember um, in nova scotia there was a, a lot of folks who were paid a lot of money Tens of thousands of dollars as a, as a class settlement because yep. of the the harms that uh, that they experienced in the victimization, institutionalized victimization, um, in state-run facilities, and how fast that money was gone. it gone, and how yep. she agonized about uh, how to spread that money around. And I yep. think we were worried. I think we had conversations initially, not dissimilar to the. Other organizer, where we were trying to say, I've got to protect this money. This is a lot yeah. of money. You're going to have to yeah. make different decisions. And all she could do was give this away to make sure everyone around her was okay. Yeah. It just didn't make sense to you or me. It's yeah. because it's not how we would have done. We would have nope. invested some of this. And then, you know, maybe you, maybe you put a little down payment on a house. or me, None of that made sense because it didn't take care of our community.
0: Because you and I had a right way to see money based right. on how we were yeah. raised and where we were in society, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think about that often as a way to check myself about other people's motives or decisions they make, and and try not to be too judgy about it because I remember the relief that she expressed to us when that money was gone. Mm. She could have her normal life back. Mm-hmm. She didn't have mm-hmm. to try to. What would I do with eighty thousand mm-hmm. dollars? I would get rid of it really quick so
0: I could get back to my life and my relationship. <laughs> That's what happened. So I was thinking about this story. Mm. Mm. because of what I'm going to be talking about tomorrow. I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to use that story, but I'm talking um, to the Greater Washington Urban League um, at, the, at the summit, the great group. I'm back for the second year. Uh, and I get to, uh, we're, we're trying to talk about how to, how to ensure that diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in society, but in particular in the workplace, achieve their intended results. Are, are we going, are we more inclusive? is there more diversity is it more equitable so on the diversity and equitable obviously there's been marginal progress some firms have leapt ahead and they're more visibly diverse the pay out sal- you know women are almost being paid as much as mm-hmm. men for the same roles kind of thing uh and mo- there's more women in senior roles so there's there's some increase but that increase if you, if you look at the 600 firms right now that we know of that are doing DEI work with companies, right. and right. you look at an, an annual $8 billion investment in it, mm-hmm. both inside and with these other firms, whatnot, you sort of ask the question is two or three percentage points enough? Mm-hmm. Like, where's all the, where's all the value actually going? Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's what we're, we're, cause we don't want to go through all of this work and then have. All of the systems and processes in place so we can check all the boxes and say, we look more diverse, we are more equitable, but inside individuals, we're still holding on to all of the same biases, implicit racism, because as we've never been asked to deal with that. We just deal with the way we work and the way we measure.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a real um, vulnerability when you just get to frontline folks to say, so how does it feel to work here,
0: person of yeah. color? Right. Do you have you ever has anybody ever asked you that?
1: No. Uh. Well, not formally. I mean, I think we get a um, every once in a while, um, and I've done this in a couple different places I've worked, so it's not just with my current employer. But they'll send out a survey once a year. Uh, The survey questions aren't bad, but they they don't get to um, how how well do I think we're doing on our commitments in terms of. PDI or ask, you know, it, it's mostly, are you aware of this initiative? Do you yeah. know that we have this policy? Yeah. We're thinking, yeah. Of, and so it's, it's, it's soliciting feedback and it's yeah. not bad, but it doesn't really say in a way that asks me to reflect on, is any of this making a difference?
0: <laughs> right. Exactly.
1: Yes. Does this, does yeah. any of this make a difference on the everyday for yeah. when I show up to my workplace as a person of color, do I feel more included? Do I feel like my voice matters am i am i code switching and we can do a whole another episode on on that where i do i have to change who i am and how i show up
0: oh yeah 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 i remember you mentioning can you just explain code switching really quickly because now people are like what is code switching code
1: switching um it's 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 learning how to navigate and how to make yourself a little bit more uh, accessible to to the audience and so there's a really great uh, example of that um, using president obama where he's greeting a whole bunch of folks at the White House and he's going down and he's shaking hands, shaking hands, shaking hands. He gets to the person of color and they immediately see each other. There's a, there's a, a, you know, he, he, he dabs them up, you know, fist bump, pulls them in for a hug and then switches right back to going down to meeting people where they are and what they need in that moment to feel connected. But it's very different in the way he's, he's interacting with with people in this moment, right. this, this code switch is like,
0: yeah, the,
1: the president lets his guard down and is seen by another black man in this moment. Yeah. And what does that look like? And it started a lot of conversations around it. That'd be an
0: example I would give. Oh, no, no, that's good. Okay. Story. Yeah. We should dig into that. Cause that is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and so I, I've got a couple of ideas that I wanted to check with you, you know, in front of everybody on a podcast, cause that's oh. how you run your, you know, you do your material is, mm-hmm. is this, what do you think? But I want to do it um, as your black friend. No, see, okay. I was, I you knew it was coming. I, okay, I go. couldn't get ahead of it fast enough. I very good. almost hit your mute. Cause I knew that was coming. So I've been reading um, even more than usual on mm-hmm. this topic and a couple of interesting things. Okay. So here's what, here's the setup. I'm going to ask you some questions. You tell okay. me what you think. Okay. Okay. So I read this article in HBR. It's going to be in the show notes. This uh, gentleman's doing some great work, uh, around trying to grapple with, uh, diversity in particular, uh, black executives is one of the, his tracks, um, okay. because it's Harvard. So of course it's yep. executives. And he found that in interviewing them, that they did not, this is, these are his words. They did not necessarily feel safe to be themselves, did not necessarily feel seen. And they also uh, felt like they lacked some support. Mm, Okay. Okay. So, and given that, um, it meant that they were experiencing um, this othering. Aspect. So, just for everybody listening, because Jake and I talk about this all the time, social identity theories, and as well as some other um, disciplines in uh, the humanities, would suggest that um, we know who we are because we know who we're not. Right. Right. So, this is a combination of your DNA, like just how you came into the world. Okay. Your social context, you know, where you are socially economically in the world, kind of thing, and then affinities. Like the particular location, like Baltimore versus Halifax, kind of thing, right? Um, And the more affinity I share with the other person, the more likely I am to see them as my people or in my group. And so fundamentally with DEI, it feels like there's a problem here. And I want to know what you think about this, because even though we're putting, we're addressing all the systems, more people of color. Um, training around microaggressions, gender norming language, uh, implicit bias, how you deal with it, how you manage to be more inclusive on all these kinds of trainings and then appropriately lists and goals and then measuring and reporting against that that's all great, but it doesn't actually affect the way I internally process how I perceive another person. And none of those things can change the sort of default setting that I got born with. So no matter how much I go through that stuff, I still am always, you know, because of the, because of the wiring in my brain, I'm always going to say, yeah, but I'm not them, those right. people. And the black executives in, actually in this uh, interview felt like they had to sort of put on uh there's a way to be at work. And then there's a way to be at work with your own people in an employee resource group, if they're all black, and then there's a way to be out of work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they had to keep switching back and forth in order to feel like they were participating or being included. But even then, not safe, not seen, uh, not supported.
1: So there's, man, there's there's a ton of stuff there. But I, let let me just start. You, you've got my mind going in a bunch of different. And I want to okay. tell you a quick story at the end okay. of this. But um, if I start with the, the training piece, uh, what you've got me thinking about is within Group O Group, there's no way to learn that without other people. We deeply need to do that in group work. So, mm. if you're doing, be, because it's a process. So, good learning, uh, uh, sort of good adult pedagogy is that if we're if we're bringing people together to learn together to see it. This is we talk a lot about this. You need to have this rational discourse. You need to be able to talk to other people. You need to be able to see this through the eyes of other people. Hear right. through the ears of other people. Hear their stories, right. but also. If done uh, well, you're hearing your words through the lips of others. So you're you're right, making connections, right? right. right? So it's mm-hmm. not just hearing their stories, but but hearing that they're hearing you. Right. So really connecting. And and so in order for there's a lot of things that you could probably log into a online self-serve kind of training module. Um, you know, I think about workplace hazardous materials. Uh, that's how we do WIMS training. We get people to look at labels and, uh, you know, pick out a, a multiple choice. And at the end of it, I'll get a certificate that says that I'm women's trained because I I don't need another person to do that. I can just walk through the steps and it will teach me something, but it doesn't turn that information into knowledge. And so what I need to do that is I need to be doing that. You mean, and by
0: turn it into knowledge, you mean like something I can use applied, uh, applied right. understanding, like you can know it, but. Just how to use it in the yeah, world. Yeah, I can right? I can know and recognize,
1: right. But I I I haven't internalized it. I haven't practiced this. Yeah, exactly. I haven't struggled with it. I've just right. It's route memorization.
0: Right. I can read about how to play football, but until I get on the field and actually run down the field, I don't I don't actually know how to play football.
1: Right. So w- the very first thing that when you're talking about um, seen safe and supported, if those are the things, I think uh, good training resists must resist doing that as individual learning. It also can't be that when someone messes up, it can't be you send the bad person who messed up off to get, quote unquote, sensitivity trained. Right. So we, because we're just imagining that this is something you can learn on your own and suddenly it'll all make sense. So
0: we need other people. That's a command and control structure, right? Like you break that, if you misbehave, you're going to get your comeuppance kind of thing. Right. Which so in this I, case is re-education, I guess.
1: It's re-education or it, it's a tick the box. It means that we sent you out to get better at this one thing because you were deficient.
0: Which is that's important for, yes, exactly. It, it, the deficiency Compliance. was you.
1: Yeah. And it yeah. fails to look at what about us contributed to that? Right. What about the yeah, place? Yeah, what about yeah, the yeah. culture? What about the ways? Okay, so set that aside that's for one good. second. That's good point. About the training. The, the, the thing about safe, supportive, and seen, I've experienced this. So I am part of a group called the International Association of Campus Law Enforcement Agencies. It's Canadian and US, it's probably broader than that, but generally they have these gatherings and they bring together senior administrators of campus security and campus police departments across the US and Canada. Um, And when you show up on the very first day or at least this is how previous um, conferences were. You have to sign a, sort of pick out your workshops, right? And then you pick out your events. And one of those things is there's a a, ser- a series of meetings and there's the police chiefs meeting. And yeah. you, can, you can only pick one of these, but you can pick the police chiefs. You can pick black police chiefs or female oh, no. police chiefs.
0: Oh, no. I mean. Well, well, but let me. Oh, oh well, no. Is that good? I. I, I I automatically went with, well, wait. Well, well, that's exclusionary. There's the main one. There's a real one. And then there's two for, like, it feels like the kids' table. But I don't, but I think it's probably appropriate to have, I don't know. Tell me, how did that come across? Well, to your Harvard
1: Business Review article, there might be something to be seen, safe, and supported. And so when I click the Black Police Chiefs um, track, uh, at least for that module, there's something that I can go and be vulnerable in that room and be seen and be safe right? and supported with folks who have a similar experience. I could go into that room and say, hey, folks, has, does anyone – does it ever get easier? I'm younger in my career than some of the yeah. other folks in this room. Does it ever get easier where you don't feel like you're just pushing back against – uh, you just got the job because you're black. Does right. anyone else feel that? Like I kind of right. feel like this imposter thing every once in a while. Yeah. And I could say that in that room that I could never say right in the other room. So right. I wonder, and I don't know the article well enough that you've you've cited, but maybe um, I'll take a peek at it later in the show notes. Is that um, does who does you, who do you have to be safe, supported, and seen by? so if i'm expecting oh, that's a, my if yeah, i'm that's expecting a my whole uh work group to do that stuff for me then i'm actually if they can't rise to the occasion i'll be in a deficit position however if i can find it somewhere maybe that's um maybe that helps me stay connected to the work that i'm doing does that make sense? Like in my workplace, as long it as does, I have but... another table where I can go and see that it might not be a forever thing, but it's a difference to say, what will make this current experience less harmful until we can transform it? So the difference between reform and transformation.
0: Yeah. Those are some, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I have a good response to any of that. Those are really good questions. It does make me wonder though, if Diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts will ever result in a room full of people that, if we'll ever overcome our evolutionary wiring to uh-huh. identify based on gender, height, eye color, skin color, interests, jobs, you know, all of that weird stuff. Can, and for those of you who are interested, social identity theory you can other people based on the most bizarre things and we do it all the time i live in a city and i support this team you live in a city and you support that team and if you're a real sports fan you're you can get quite emotional about your team uh but the team here in baltimore came from indianapolis like i don't like they're not really objectively speaking they're not all from baltimore you know what i mean they just represent us and so it it is, uh, would we ever, so the question was, would we ever get to a place where we can overcome that and all go to one room and ask those kinds of questions without the default of a subset? Do you, yeah, well,
1: I, pro- it's probably further off than we would like to imagine because it's probably evolutionary. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, right. I think this is our. Our brains. This is hardwiring. This is not something that is just about a learning gap. The, we, you, you talked about our being us being hardwired to to need other groups, and so um, to understand who we are because uh, yeah. we recognize the other. There isn't a training module
0: that makes that not happen. Yeah. No, there isn't. It's only experience, and that that goes to that study that was done after World War II that looked at soldiers, black soldiers who were in black units fighting World War II Uh and black unit, black soldiers who were integrated into with, with whites and they were one unit together. That latter group had far more cohesion and stayed friends afterwards. Yeah. The other one didn't, they were both military. They had, they both went to war together, but they didn't have the experience together. And so the default sitting stayed intact. Whereas with the second group, their brains actually changed. They perceived, the black soldiers as them yeah it is in their group
1: yeah because the 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 exclusion uh, even if it's passive but we we still practice these very intentional ways and we convince ourselves that it leads to public safety we when we what, othering leads to public safety? Like, Well, it, it can. I mean, to, to your point, we, we do practice some exclusion, and we tell ourselves that it's in the interest of public safety. Right. It's in the interest. So when we, so in Canada somewhat, but definitely in the U.S., where you're jailing people at astonishing rates, mm-hmm. and sometimes for their natural lives, and then within mm-hmm. that um, othering, you know, separate from society, We can spend a whole lot of time talking about the criminal code in Canada, Section 718, that has this one phrase in it around sentencing that that the judge must consider upon sentencing um, if they need, you know, that they will separate this offender from society where necessary. Hmm. That that is a huge conversation about. I, I get that they're trying to make a a decision that a person can't be here. It's not safe for you to be with us. We have to put you out almost like a scapegoat. We need someone to blame. I need someone to, to be away from us. It no longer defines us. The, the risk is what's happening now to that person. And I think we have some better insight now, thanks to neuroscience about what's happening for that person who's being excluded.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a form of torture, right? Solitary confinement is, is considered a form of torture, but, but why? As human beings degrade, like our brains stop getting, I mean, this, I was listening to this one podcast, this guy's in a cell, it's like five by five in, Mm. uh, maybe it's six by six, but I mean, he can just lay down in it. Uh, it's a minor offense. He tried to escape once, but he's in Texas, Texas practices, solitary confinement without limit 25 years. He sees guards a couple times a year. I mean, this, this gentleman is just destroyed. Um, the post-traumatic stress disorder that after 25 years, he, he'll never function. We've just ripped a human being to pieces. And they that can't be put to back together. But that's part of the legal code. We're allowed to do that to human beings. Well, I I mean, I think that that that
1: that legal system moves very slowly. And so they're stuck using practices that they've always used. We've always right. separated people. We've always put them away. Right. But I think right. the developments in neuroscience to be able to look at brain imaging and say, you're actually shutting down parts of this brain. You're causing pain when you isolate people. Um, you, you're if this person ever gets out, you have created the monster that you thought yeah. you were protecting us from.
0: Yeah, that's
1: a sh- great. You've, you've you've shifted their brain in such a way that has actually led us to not be safe anymore. Yeah, that's because a great they can no longer see us. They can no longer. They don't feel like us. They feel like an other. And so now you've released an other who will only read us as threat because you've divided the world into us and them. Yeah,
0: American foreign policy may be a big othering too, like as well, where every intervention seems to spawn hundreds of problems. Um, uh, But we won't go down that. I want to bring it back to DEI just uh, Mm -hmm. because we're almost out of time. And I just want to bring it back to say this presentation tomorrow. One of the interesting things um and it underscores the point that you were just making, and that is excluding people does create pain namely uh Eisenberger did some studies um uh, back in two thousand ten two thousand eleven um yeah. where she uh and i know you you've watched this video it was mm-hmm. really interesting, but the result uh she she had people go through sit on a actually I think they put on goggles and they watched or they played with they played. Uh, there were two other like little avatars. I think they're like triangles or something like that. No, little people throwing a ball back and forth and they were playing. And then all of a sudden the other two leave that person out and they're watching what happens in the brain and the same system that registers physical pain, parts of it lit up for social pain. Yeah. So being excluded, you know, that, and that's the name of the podcast, sticks and stones can break my bones, but so can your words. Yeah. And exclusion does cause physical pain so much so that when they gave people Tylenol, they felt less pain. The brain calmed down. So you can use Tylenol to treat a broken leg. Well, maybe a heavy duty Tylenol. And, I feel like uh, we need a disclaimer so we don't get sued. <laughs> <laughs> to to uh, You can use a Tylenol for physical pain. Right. And for a bad day at work when you don't feel like you could bring your full self to work. Like you can say what you were really thinking. Do you, okay. And so this is my last question. Have you found yourself in a place where you had to put up some kind of buffer so that you weren't perceived as black versus me when I, I may lose my temper and yell or whatever, but nobody says, Oh, that's just those. That's how they deal with it. I never get that. I, it's yeah. always constantly. Wow. You lost. Yeah. I, I, what was wrong that day kind of thing, but how about you? Constantly. Constantly. It's
1: it's not just a, can I remember a time? This is a, this, this is a ongoing, all the time. Um, you're, you're con, I am constantly uh, trying to navigate that tension. Yeah. Um, and I, and I work in an environment in terms of campus safety, where sometimes there can be high conflict uh, moments. And, um, you know, uh, I'm consciously thinking about, is this going to be read as an angry black man? Right? If I have to get loud, if I have to tact tactically...
0: You know, I don't think you've ever said that to me before. I didn't know. I've never asked the so, question. So we would have,
1: you know, we sometimes call it tactical communication. Like if I yeah. have to cut through and and really let you know that I'm serious about this thing, you yeah. need to do this and you need to do this now. And some of my uh colleagues probably don't think about that. They're just giving commands
0: and I'm, that must shape the entire way you work like your entire oh yeah like at a very deep level how you live
1: you know it well it it does but uh, it's 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 why that other room is so important at the chief's conference gotcha it's why that other room matters so that i can be seen safe and supported when i can walk in and tell folks that i don't have to tell them that whole story that i just have to tell you where you're like oh i get it i could start that and they're like yep Because that's what seen, safe, and supported feels like. Now, someday, maybe my other colleagues who are not Black might might get there. But they're not there now. That's okay.
0: So this brings us back to the opening illustration of President Obama. That's that moment where you can just, I see you. I see you. I see all of you. You're not just one more person in line. Not that he wasn't saying, I see you, to everybody else. But they expected to be seen.
1: Right. Right? they they're always seen they're always seen i'm always but he seen. saw them and and th- th- this goes back to our initial conversation about right. how a person is seen and how a person is read right uh in that moment um mattered a lot to to that uh, organizer if you misread a person you you risk cutting off all of the people that they're taking care of imagine oh, if yeah, yeah, you didn't yeah, uh, good... you didn't chase down those questions imagine if yeah. you didn't uh, take a few minutes, and you just reacted and said, "No more.
0: You are not going to take any more bread. You're not going to take any more muffins." Exactly. No. To her credit, she didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So she she asked me to check out what was going on. So I guess but, that is an upside. Yeah.
1: But I think the risk is not everyone does that. Sometimes they just read them wrong, and act and act, yeah. and and the, the consequence would be not just to me, <laughs> but to everyone who was relying on my. <laughs>
0: yeah. Wow. I hadn't thought of that angle. All right. This is great. I, I appreciate it. I'm going to, I've got some good stuff to, to take with me tomorrow to the, uh, to the group. Um, and I'm looking forward to that and thanks Jake for working this out with me and for everybody for listening to us <laughs> do it. Hopefully. <laughs> All good. All right. Good luck tomorrow, bud. Thank you. See you okay. next time. Bye. This has been a Podstarter production.